oh, because you actually did your homework this time? Is that why you're able to? No, actually, I have... <laughs> I don't even know what we're talking about today. If only everybody <laughs> are... could see the shock on my face that you are, you don't feel prepared. You know what? That just goes to show how good I am at yeah. this though. Am I right? Because I'm about to, I'm about to drop pearls for the next hour or so. Welcome to the Voyage Podcast, a show that traverses the oceans of myth and legend through the lens of Catholic theology and philosophy. Come aboard as we set sail in pursuit of the heroic life and Christian virtue with your hosts, Mike Schramm and Jacob Platty. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of The Voyage Podcast, where Jacob and I are going to continue our conversation about the Mandalorian and the little way of Therese of Lisieux. We're going to um, not do so much of a 90-degree turn, uh, turning away from. It's going to be kind of a similar theme from it, uh, but going maybe a little bit deeper or focusing on something else from... The Story of a Soul, which is written by Doctor of the Church, St. Therese of Lisieux, and how it actually relates in some surprising ways to, um, so far, at least seasons one and two of The Mandalorian. We're recording this before season three has come out, and so we're just kind Mm -hmm. of, we're doing it in anticipation because we're looking forward to season three. Can this is spoilers, right? Like we're we're season two. We're talking as if Uh, I'm the the only person. Yeah, as if people have seen season two. And even though you haven't seen Book of Boba Fett five, six, and seven, which is where the Mandalorian returns, and there are some developments there, um, we're going to speak as if everybody has seen everything leading up to season three. But before we go, uh, I just want to remind our uh, loyal listeners, as always, don't forget to like, subscribe, and review the Voyage podcast. We know how sensitive Jacob is, and so he wants to see those five stars. He wants to see that. <laughs> he wants to see those numbers go up. He's always asking, you know, how are the numbers looking? How uh-huh. are they? so? Yeah, I'm. I'm a. I'm a real number cruncher. That's right. I will never see any of your comments. Just so everyone's tracking on that, though. I. I will. Don't worry. I'm I'll, just not. Tracking. I'll give him the highlights. Yeah. Yeah. So any. Any. Uh, Quality control issues with uh, my performance on this podcast. Just direct those over to Mike, and uh, I'm sure he'll get back to me. Absolutely, in a, in a manner that won't crush my soul. I am very insensitive. That's the other uh, thing. I, in <laughs> I actually, you know, sometimes people will be like, "Oh, we have to protect the talent." You know, we'll we'll kind of uh, not make the comments sound so bad. I'm actually going to make them sound worse than they actually are. Yeah, that's good. Hey, you know what? The best protection is a thick skin. All right. And so the more you belittle me, Mike, the more you just grind me into the dust, the stronger I will come back stronger than you can possibly imagine. Oh How's my that gosh. for a Star Wars that. reference? And, that was, and like you said, you're not even prepared. Mm. That was just off the cuff. Off the cuff, man. So uh, yep. what the, the direction I wanted this part two conversation of The Mandalorian, if you remember last time, we were talking about... Um, well, we were talking about... We kind of did an introduction to Tres of the Zoo and Story of the Soul. Uh, but one of the big things that she's known for is called the little way. And one of the best ways that that can be described or defined or characterized is it's small actions done with great love, which in one sense, Mm. it's nothing new about the Christian spiritual life. And yet, you know, we have Therese of Lisieux who comes on to the scene or this, this becomes popularized in the late 1800s. And it has this massive movement behind it where you have these spiritual giants, um, theologians of the church, people with multiple, you know, theology degrees behind their names. And they're looking to her as, you know, this incredible teacher of Christian spirituality. So in practice, does that mean that people were like making pilgrimages to her cell? I mean, like, what does it look like? What did that movement look like? So, um, you, so if, if you remember just a, a very quick review, this is just a, this is a diary basically is what story of a soul is. This oh, is right. not a systematic theological textbook. This is a diary. Wait, so, but no, but people are still asking, writing letters to no, her no, and things like well, that. Yeah. I guess so, my question is, was she, well, was she popular in her lifetime? No, or was it, it wasn't even published death? until after her lifetime. And she died at like 24 years old. Um, so, mm-hmm. so in terms of, yeah, the impact has all been after her death. Now, um, when, when I say the impact, uh, why I'm, I'm highlighting that Story of a Soul is a diary is because it was never meant to be this, again, treatise on spiritual theology or treatise on theology. And yet you have all of these, you know, um, dissertations that are written because of it. You have all of these saints who have looked to it as this was an inspiration for, for my own work. Um, 
you know, and they wouldn't say my own work as a saint, but the church has now recognized them as saints. Uh, so, cool. you know, two, two so did modern they have examples. To, uh, well, do they have to remove all the elements from her diary? They're like, oh, Corey totally said hi to me today. Yeah. So, Jim. So, and okay. Becky totally when I say, made fun of me in the lunchroom. Yeah. Something like that. They just, they just cut all this well, stuff no, out. Ironically. So, I know you're, you're bringing it up. Or is as that a joke. the most spiritually, is that the most so, poignant spiritual content? So, because this is, it's called the little way, right? And so, um, even those, and not that it's as trivial as what you were describing, but there are these little stories in there of hey, these. So, tell that to my kids, man. <laughs> Um, you, you you tell them that's trivial. So what Corey says matters, Mike. It's, yeah, it sounds like it's you're on like a '90s uh, after school TV show. <laughs> <laughs> so in her in her diary, um, which yeah, it wasn't meant to be this thing like that. She just happened to have kept her entire life, and then they saved it. She was instructed to write these things down from her superior. But uh, hmm. to to go back to your point, um, it included these seemingly trivial examples from her day or from her life that most people would have just forgotten about or not seen the spiritual value of. And it was precisely because she saw the spiritual value in those that it became so influential to others. Because if this person who seemingly lived this very ordinary, um, you know, not like just not very influential life or didn't seem to have this um, profound spirituality in her everyday life, if she was able to recognize that, then could I recognize or see the opportunities for um, spiritual growth in my own ordinary mm-hmm. everyday life? So like, you know, to go back to your point, like it does have those t- sorts of entries where it's like, so-and-so and I were just cleaning the floor and blah, blah, blah. Or I was faced mm-hmm. with this proposition of, could I, you know, say something or not say something? And I didn't say something. And, you know, I, I not to, belittle it but like the whole offer it up sort of thing and it's like to be able to think through that mm-hmm. you know that opportunity and put words to it was very um profound and influential Two two modern saints uh from the western tradition which again even if you're not part of this tradition they've been recognized the world over as very influential um examples of charity would be mother Teresa, who actually mm-hmm. she so she co- chose the name mother Teresa. But she was originally, she wanted to go by Therese because she was so influenced by Therese of Lisieux. And then Pope St. John Paul II. So again, two saints um, who have been canonized in like the last 20 years, both look at the story of a soul as part of the, you know, just huge influences in their spirituality. Oh, it's interesting. You know, so like I teach Sunday school, right? And my kids are in my Sunday school class because I go to a small church. And so it's, it's pretty much all the kids are in the same classroom. Um... Which you think it's tough teaching high schoolers, Mike. Try teaching high schoolers and preschoolers simultaneously. Ah, I I defy Mm you. Um, Anyway, uh, but, you know, so we were talking about, we're leading up into Lent, right? It's right around the corner for us. uh, And uh, we're talking about repentance. And in Greek, that's metanoia. Um, And then in Hebrew, I don't think I'll remember the word, but it's like shuv or something like that. Um, Or terv, maybe. I don't know. But uh, we were going over what those words mean in their original languages. Uh, and in Hebrew, it means to turn around. It means to like walk a different direction. So it's like this embodied physical reality. Um, in Greek, metanoia means to think twice, to you know, stop and think again mm-hmm. kind of concept. So it's more of a mental thing. Yeah. And then, you know, I like the idea of combining both of those concepts where repentance becomes something that you uh is both a a bodily embodied act in your life but also a a mental spiritual reality as well and my kids were like that's way too um abstract Hmm. they were basically critiquing me like saying hey you know i mean like how does this how does this play out get your head out of the clouds like okay yeah yeah yeah, no (laughs) yeah (laughs) quit screaming up there bro um even up to the point of what therese was able to give people it sounds like is this idea of it bring it bringing it into practical application mm-hmm. um you know someone like myself i tend to have my head in the clouds all the time and and so i i as i'm thinking these things through at this kind of like mental reality you know i i think i could benefit a lot more 
from the actual application. Well, and I think that's what this and is And actually, about. so to that point as well, like when you asked about the influence and I, I immediately jumped into, well, here are these saints and their writings or people have written all these books about it. And those are certainly true in that that's one indicator, but maybe the better indicator of the influence Therese has had on the Catholic world in the last 200 years is what's always the stereotypical Catholic name. It's always Mary Therese, Bernadette Therese, Therese Therese. Like, so it became the stereotype that the stereotypical Catholic family, if they had a bunch of daughters or even all of the daughters (laughs) would all have the name Therese, like as their middle name or something. And so, so that probably more than anything else indicates the, the influence that Therese of Lisieux. And like you said, specifically the little way, how it, how it, um, related to the every person, right? The everyday Christian, the everyday Catholic more so. Now, why, why I brought up my example is because it's not an either, or it was that this was so profound that not only did it affect the everyday, you know, little way, every, um, spirituality. So like somebody like mother Teresa, she's, she's not known for being a theologian. She's known for being, you know, a servant, right? Then obviously, uh, Pope John Paul II, he was a pretty dynamic theologian, was he not? Philosopher theologian, he, yeah, definitely. Yeah, right. So And so you basically have the gamut. You have mm, the spectrum yeah. of two of the most influential Catholics of the 20th century. Um, and they're completely different in what they're kind of like, quote unquote, known for. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet they have the common wellspring of the humble writings of this monastic um who, you know, they didn't get published until after she was dead. And, and yeah, that just the fact that, um, and I know we covered this last time too, but that she was declared by the church to be a doctor of the church, which, you know, there's only been, I think, 39 in the 2,000-year history of the church, 39 who have been given this title as their their Yeah, you hand them out like candy over there. Apparently, I get it. Yeah, I get no, it. I know. Yeah, it's even a- more exclusive anyone's a doctor. There, but... Everyone's a doctor in the Catholic church. So, um, so anyway, the, the main thing that for this one— in connecting it to the Mandalorian, I don't know if you remember, but we're actually going to talk about the Mandalorian a little bit. I'm excited. Yeah. You know, I'm more, I've been, wa- I've been patiently waiting to get through all this Catholic stuff yeah. so I can get to the real conversation I want to have, so, which is talking about season two of the Mandalorian. I, well, and, and actually we're going to go back to one as well. It's the whole, but, uh, well, the, that'll, that'll, um, I can do that. So the, the connection I wanted to draw or that I thought was interesting was, you know, we've been talking about how this little way. It's not just that it connects to the every person, but that there's this actual unexpected spiritual power in it. Not just that everybody can associate with it, but that it actually has a huge influence on the spiritual life. And we see that same, you know, even if you want to say in a metaphorical sense, this same unexpected spiritual power in so much of the Mandalorian, right? I mean, just think of mm-hmm. like, you know, we've already, we've talked a little bit about um, how the the, the child, this little, you know, little character or the littleness of mm-hmm. has, you know, every episode packs this punch. So every 30, 40 minute episode packs this huge punch. But mm-hmm. even within the story itself, it's the, it's the power within these, une- in these unexpected areas that kind of makes the Mandalorian what it is. Wouldn't you say? No, I would. I, I, you know, so, and I think it's, all right, so here's the thing is I currently have a um, almost nine-month-old baby right now. And so, frankly, I'm experiencing <laughs> watching through The Mandalorian with uh, little baby Grogu mm-hmm. um, actually possessing a child that's roughly approximate to the behavior pattern of Grogu in that show. It's everything, too, and, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and... You know, it pulls like my. I'm so primed for the stories that Mandalorian is telling because of where I happen to be at this moment in my life right now. Probably more so than if I didn't currently have a baby. We didn't even get into the whole um, dad stuff, but yeah, like the whole dad. No, I know. Um, and so the entire arc, the entire everything about it is me as a father connecting with uh, the Mandalorian and you know just getting way more emotional than I probably should. <laughs> This show, um, you know, I tell you what, that, that, see, all right, so A, we're going to talk about the final episode of that show um, for a couple minutes, but B, the end, man, what is it? Uh, Ni- Niagara Falls, the baby. Ugly, ugly tears. Yeah, from, from, yeah, <laughs> from, uh, well, you get the reference from Scrooge. Everyone go watch Scrooge next Christmas. But Bill uh, Bill Murray's character, yeah, 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 the Bill Murray one, Niagara Falls, baby. 
Um, taxi driver goes to Christmas past. Anyway, um, <laughs> dude, just just you know, we're not as cultured as you crying. are. Apparently. Yeah, <laughs> Scrooge has been around for quite a few decades now, so catch up. Um, but uh, man, that was, and then he takes the helmet off, mm. which we're gonna we should talk about that too. But despite my questions about his newfound <laughs> liberal attitude with his helmet by the end of that season. And that has consequences um, in the book of Boba Fett, by the way. Oh, I suspect. I'm sure they're going to play into those um, questions. But, uh, you know, setting aside all of that, emotionally speaking, I mean, it's just, oh, it's devastating. <laughs> and, and little Grogu, he goes and he, well, he caresses his cheek, you know, with his little puppet hand. And even that. But they do such a good job animating the child mm. to like when my child is sitting around, you know, his his dexterity's not there yet and he's you know, he basically is I feel like my <laughs> watching watching the Mandalorian makes me view my real baby as like a puppet creature. Hmm. Well actually <laughs> I I've I've started to resonate yeah, with suddenly my, he feels like So I've a, got a fourteen month old and uh he climbs everywhere where he's not supposed to, which is very much resonant with the uh baby Yoda Grogu yeah. character as well. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure, uh, and just the expressions that they get and things like that. Anyway, so it's obviously a very personal experience for me right now. Um, but that final episode was amazing. Well, let's get to the final episode stuff, but let's talk about the the helmet thing. Um, and I, I'm, you know, I know this doesn't necessarily tie back to Therese, but just as a pop culture podcast from a Catholic or classical Christian perspective. I'm wondering kind of where they're going with this character. Okay. Because the one thing that I really enjoyed from season one was the honor and the tradition and the kind of unequivocal, um, uh, what's the word I want to use? Uh, promotion. Of well, and like that the reverence type of a reverence lifestyle. for the way, the reverence. right? And yeah. reverence for the way, yeah. that, you know, in this, it was the way not to remove your helmet. So what's the exactly. conflict that's going to be right. created there? And as I've already kind of alluded to, it does get addressed in the f- episodes five, six, and seven of Book of Boba Fett. Um, in one sense, I'm not totally surprised because it's kind of a reflection of like modern or postmodern culture to kind of like undo all of those, well, tradition for tradition's sake. Yeah, it's tradition de- we don't de- remove de- the helmet, so now we're going to have our main guy remove the helmet because then you as the viewer well, have to feel Well, let's get specifically into it. Yeah, you know, so uh, season one does a really good job of investing the audience in believing in this creed, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's it's fascinating that they use that language, that they use openly religious language throughout I mean, the show it the to way describe the like, Mandalorian. Yeah, you can't get, you know, it you can't, is. It's in very one spiritual. sense, you can't get more New Testament biblical because that's almost, that's that predates even Christian, calling it Christian. So calling it the way. Well, and here's what I'll say. I'm actually more impressed by their use of the word creed because it's such a specifically religious word to use. Yeah. The way, as much as it is, you know, loaded with spiritual baggage as a, as a term. You could see some Buddhism um, there too, so. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, and you could see uh, someone who's not particularly religious still adopting that type of language because it's, it's an easy word to yeah. use, right? But to really lean into the religiosity of their way of life by describing what they do as a creed. No, that's is, definitely got more uh, baggage. Yeah, very unique. I mean, it, it's very, it's a very specific word to use. Um, and, you know, then in season two, you even have the, this idea that there's actually different sects of Mandalorian, mm. different denominations, if you will. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, the one with Kara uh, Thrace from Battlestar Galactica um, is, as she calls them religious zealots. Uh-huh. Right. And so it's almost like she belongs to what non-denominational Mandalorianism. Oh, nice! <laughs> you know, like uh, a charismatic and, uh, or something. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. She's a she's a charismatic. You know, I don't need to go to church. I can I can experience the way without my helmet. You know, yeah. like I don't need to I don't need to do the practices of this oh, organized boy. religion. We, we got to do I can a, just, ecclesiology I can just, of the Mandalorian. That's the I'm telling you. That's this is the stuff that was. I, you know, I was picking up on as I was watching season two is because season one, they do a good job of honoring it and treating it with respect. But season two introduces a ton of kind of deconstructive elements yeah. that they don't, they don't, um, 
they don't lean too heavily into it until like the last couple episodes though. Well, and I think when he's starting to get confronted with these gray realities, you know, do I save the child or do I preserve my creed? You know, well, and I think too one of the things that, and this is why you know, one could argue, oh, it's postmodern deconstruction for the sake of deconstruction, or you know, subverting tradition because tradition needs to be subverted. But there is even a place for those sorts of things if it's if if it's all things you know, sacrifice all things for the sake of charity, right? True charity, and so right. Lest anybody well, think I would argue, that yeah, we're just complaining about it because oh, it's modernism, blah blah blah. It's like. Well, we can we can even see the potential value and and season two, I think, like you said, it it addresses a lot of those things, but it isn't wholly disrespectful of those things either, right? You can definitely see I'll why. I'll be curious to see it's where they go with it. It'll uh-huh. it'll entirely depend upon where they go with it because as of right now, I am not so offended at the idea that they are moving into murky waters with uh, Mandalorian's creed. Because that's inter- that's interesting storytelling, right? So, like, okay, you've established that this person belongs to a code and that he treats that code with the utmost respect. Uh, he'd rather die than... And then what gets him to change from someone who would rather die for their code the, into somebody who's willing to make exceptions? Um, and, okay, so it, at least in the Orthodox Church specifically, we have this term, economia, that gets thrown around a oh, lot. Yeah. I, I'm sure the Catholics have it, too. Uh, it's kind of a joke. Um, it's kind of a, a meme within the Orthodox world, though, because economia tends to be, A, the Orthodox Church is just a little bit more loosey-goosey than the Catholic Church in a lot of ways. Just It becomes sort of an excuse but to econ- do whatever you want. Is that... Yeah, yeah the econo- yeah, the economia argument We call that being that, pastoral you know, over on this side. <laughs> it's a, very much the same concept. We just have a, a fancy Greek word for it. Um, but... Uh, Basically, economy being like within the house, yep. you know, like the house rules. And so uh, basically, uh, you know, okay, well, you don't have to fast today because of this reason, whatever. We're going we're gonna to let that slide. And it's more of a relationship you have with your spiritual director, like your parish priest, for example. And then he, he works economia in the day-to-day, right? Mm-hmm. And so... That sense of, and I'm sure the Catholic Church. Has no, no, no. That, what you're describing, yeah, there's well. certainly, I mean, parallels. I wouldn't even say parallels as if it's like they're in two different tracks. I would say it's the same track, but yeah, it's, it's the yeah. same. Yeah, it's the same concept. I'm sure. Um, and so I can see these. Or so, for example, you know, there's that moment later on when the Mandalorian has to choose between getting the information he needs to save Grogu. Or removing his helmet, mm-hmm. and it's a really dramatic moment in the show because you've never seen the Mandalorian make a choice like yeah. that, and then he does, and they they're almost Hitchcockian in how well they wait to see if other people notice him because at first he removes the helmet, it's like okay, well maybe nobody will see his face, and then he can still like you yeah. know keep his honor right, but no, they they drag him through the mud basically. They they say okay, yeah, he made this choice and he's going to suffer. They make him take a bunch of selfies. The humiliation. Right? Is that, no. They <laughs> do, yeah. They 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 really humiliate him in that moment. Um, and so there's a bit of a passion going on there. Um, well, and, for the Mandalorian. And no, and like when he's not to trivialize that either. Like it's a certainly a passion of the ego, right? It's a crucifixion mm-hmm. of the ego in that sense. Well, and so the only fear I have is that they'll take what's an interesting conversation about how do you remain true to your creed and when do the exceptions arise that are, it's okay mm-hmm. uh, for the greater good into, well, the creed was just never necessary to begin with. And let's see where they go with it because they could, I mean, right now they're kind of walking that line, I think. At the end of the show, when he removes his helmet to say goodbye to Grogu, emotionally, it's such a gut punch and it's such a good moment. And I, I was just, uh, I loved it. I loved that moment. But philosophically speaking, it seems less necessary. It seems it's less necessary, yeah. and and it's like okay, well, I understood the dramatic tension um, in the previous episode. It's like, but I mean, are you just like done? Are you just done with that creed? Uh, where, are you, where are you going with this? And it can still be an exceptional moment. And it would be an exceptional mm. moment if he proceeds to no longer keep taking his helmet off. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and you know what? I just, I'm afraid, like, I just have this sinking feeling that this is going to be a show in which 
the Mandalorian slowly evolves into a more Protestant form of Mandalorianism. Or, <laughs> because yeah, it just becomes, all those old creeds were just well, religious it's just, zealotry. It just becomes a way in my image as opposed to me conforming myself to the way, right? Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. and that's obviously, I mean, you know, we could certainly wax poetic on the dangers of that in the Christian life, which is kind of the whole idea of making these parallels, right? Is mm-hmm. no, and it could be to the point. This is why economy uh, economy is so important, or pastoral care is so important. Is the the tradition is not an idol. Yeah. The tradition is there to uh, raise us to up to the spiritual levels we're supposed to be at, and as such, should be taken with the well, most sincerity. And even in your, but it's also it's not something that crushes us. Even in your description, when you were in. talking about how this looks from the eastern side, and, and like I said, that's why this is a parallel to the west. Um, it's always done in the context of obedience, so that's why you you mentioned, you know your parish priest or even your spiritual director or from a priest standpoint, you know, his bishop. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's supposed to be given to you. The economy is given to you. You don't take it upon yourself. And and, uh, you don't tying this back in again. Um, so that's actually, you know, we were talking about the, the writing of the story of a soul and it wasn't something that she was just, she wasn't just keeping a diary out of vanity. Like she was directed by her, her superior to write this down for posterity. Um, and so mm-hmm. even this work of, like I said, not, not originally meant to be systematic theology or spiritual theology, it was a work of obedience. And that's probably, mm-hmm. in a sense, you, you can't help but say that's part of the, that went into the formation of it. Um, I think she says like right at the yeah. beginning of it that she's writing these things down, not because she thinks her insights are so great, but because she was instructed to, uh, mm. which again, I think is just as much even though it wasn't meant to be explicit content in terms of spiritual theology, that adds as much to it that that was the context, right? That she was doing mm. it yeah. um, just as much um, that she was doing it out of obedience. That teaches us something indirectly as well. Oh, I think so. So No, it does. And so it'll be interesting to see how they uh, carry through with his evolution. And maybe we'll see more of that in the Boba Fett. Um, show that you've been describing. I'll have to catch up on that here pretty quick. Well, yeah, because he, he um, does have to like confront the the remaining members of his order. Oh, yeah. So they actually go and uh, uh, can, they find out, evidently, huh? And what did it get on the internet? The little selfies get on the internet. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. Post them. What what are the other people in the room? The other Mandalorians, like him. you know, recording it. Uh, yeah, on TikTok. So um, um, no, he so yeah, yeah he see, basically admits to Mando. It. That's what happens, man. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's once it's on the internet, it's there forever. Whole world's gonna whole the whole galaxy. That's a lesson. No matter how far far away, is gonna see. That's that. a lesson to us just as much. Keep that in mind, man. That Star is, Wars so is. profound. Uh, it is so one of the one of the main. Um, examples from this the story of a soul that i wanted to bring up in terms of this unexpected spiritual power uh it actually has to do with so uh saint therese she's she's kind of describing how this little way works in terms of how can one actually progress because again on the surface it doesn't look like you're actually doing anything spiritual or you're actually doing anything valuable when it comes to spirituality yeah um but she talks about how you know growing up uh, she grew up in a, a devout Catholic home, and she was always told stories of the saints. She um, read to stories of the saints by her her parents, her siblings. Actually, both of her parents. Uh, I don't know if they've been canonized saints or if they've been beatified, but they're definitely. I think they've been canonized as well. Uh, Therese mm-hmm. and Lazu's parents. But um, she talks about how growing up, she'd hear these these stories of these great saints. You know how they did these great things, or they had these incredible insights. They grew and advanced in the spiritual life. But she could never, she was never going to be that. She was never going to do these, you know, great things, again, on the surface, seemingly right. great things. And she compared it to, like, when, when we're, we have this big mountain, right? And, and the saints, these are these great mountain climbers. And they're, they're climbing up the mountain because of all the spiritual gifts they've been given. But she doesn't have these mm. same gifts. But what happens is she only reaches her arms up. And God lifts her up and carries her up. And so now, mm-hmm. this little way... Is not her. Hey, it's just like it's just like that poem or whatever you want to call it. Footprints. <laughs> yep, that was so just like that. All right, so hear this one. Stop me if you've heard oh, this gosh, one before, please, Mike. No. But at the end of the life, the person looks back on the beach. Why were there only and one only set? Sees one set. Of, there's only one set of footprint. 
during his hardest, darkest times, Mike. What's up with that, Jesus? You'll never, you'll never see this nope, coming. No, nope. those were the moments Jesus was carrying him, Mike. So, Therese saw. This I mean, same. that's a great way to end this episode, right? And we can't <laughs> get, we don't. can't get we better can't than end that. Like that. This is <laughs> if, well, in one sense, it's probably it's the end nice of the story. episode because I'm, everybody I'm being, stopped listening. I'm being so. <laughs> So, yeah, you could say it's the I end. shouldn't make fun of that story. I shouldn't make fun um, of that story. I'm pretty sure my beloved aunt has that on her wall. Um, it's a nice story. Uh, hey, Therese, so she totally... So anyway, she ripped that off, though. She was um, in the gift shop probably can, at yeah. the monastery, and she saw that, and she's like, oh, I'm going to put that in my yeah, diary. Yeah, I just got to change the words a little bit. I just got to change the details. Yeah. Um, got to change the details so people don't pick up on this. So, And, and of course, the ironic thing is... Be- because she's being Never lifted. Meet your heroes, not kids. only is she exerting less effort again to keep the metaphor, but she gets lifted up higher than those who are climbing. And so it, it of course speaks to the value of it. Um, she called the little way her elevator to Jesus or, you know, cause that's, Oh, that's funny. so, um, so there again, it's, it's the unexpected spiritual power. You wouldn't expect to find, I mean, you wouldn't expect to see it in the example, like in the, the little life, the everyday sorts of things. And hmm. I think even just, you know, the fact we've already kind of talked a little bit about how there was this unexpected power in the child, right? Maybe Star Wars fans yeah. maybe expected it because the child looked like Yoda. So you're like, oh, he's a baby it's going gonna, gonna to be a Jedi or it's going to have the force or something. Yeah, for sure. Um, I did think it was, so if you remember in season one, it was the blood that the bad guys wanted. Do you remember? They wanted to like drain yeah. the blood. Yeah, they did. They wanted his blood. Which, I mean, definitely has a sort of like Old Testament uh, Levitical sacrifice aspect to it, it right? It the does. life is it's in the there's, blood. There's, or the midichlorians are in the blood. And there's also the midichlorians are in the yeah. blood. Yikes. Yeah, wow. that's, a, that's okay. a paraphrase. That's like, you know how they'll do like, oh, the the Lego Bible or oh, the Star man. Wars Bible. So in the Star Wars Bible, that's yeah. the translation. The midichlorians are in the that's blood. That's what it is. The midichlorians are in the blood. Yeah. Uh, they even say like M count or something like that. And it's like, yeah, you won't say that dirty word, will you? Yeah. <laughs> you're just going to say M count. Well, they won't actually, they won't actually say what they're talking about. I know it's, but uh, yeah, it's interesting that they're trying to, um, well, they're trying to clone, they're, they're trying to what, make like a super race, like super soldier serum, um, of out of baby Grogu's blood well, so that you have a bunch of force wielding stormtroopers that's kind of the impression yeah it's kind of like a it's a manufactured you know magic or 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 manufactured spiritual power right yeah they're trying to turn uh the grace of the force Uh into a commodity that can be you know manufactured like a technology well you know and yeah i mean we've had spiritual perils well that's just it right i mean it's so so what maybe the real uh theme should have been simony is that the uh (laughs) <laughs> that's basically that was the, that that was the that, real sin that, uh, of the empire that was, the real <laughs> sin of the empire was simony nobody saw that coming did they yeah. mm, true now wow. what we needed we are really digging up some pretty pretty interesting information for this podcast <laughs> we needed the the i can't remember the the bad guy's name the john carlo esposito you know the guy who played frank uh-huh. we need him to just yeah, yeah, the, just the, straight up look the, at the camera and be like now everybody just a reminder the real sin was simony <laughs> <laughs> and be like so, hey you know what google searches for simony uh-huh. would have like skyrocketed if only right right no i know now all of you listening to this are gonna have to google it and find out what we're talking about because we're gonna make you do yeah. that oh this is your homework for this season oh gosh don't tell um, me. <laughs> And with if you're the example to give people them, homework, I mean. <laughs> do as I say, not as I do. I'm pretty sure that's great advice. Something like that. Um, something like that. Uh, the the and so he ends up falling back on, and it's an interesting, honestly. At some point later on, when we're talking about something Star Wars related again, we'll have to talk about what makes the Empire evil mm-hmm. and what an interesting kind of case study the Empire is. Uh, one of the things, though, that I think is pretty pertinent for ourselves today is that it's use of technology as a, it's, it's like a technocratic empire, right? And it's it's going to bring order and peace to the galaxy through... Tyranny. Uh, you know, yeah. yeah, well, tyranny, but it's like a, it, but it's also a kind of technological um, embrace. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you, you almost get the, and I don't think this is ever like explicitly said. Um, 
I haven't read a lot of like Star Wars comics or novels or anything like that. And I'm, I'm sure they flesh out a lot of details in those things. But if you're just watching the TV or the movie mediums, I don't think I've ever heard this said anywhere. But the, the impression you get from just the overall nature of who the good guys are and the bad guys are is the bad guys are the, you know, the highly technic- technologically advanced um, overlord people. Yeah. The, the tyrannical um, one percenters, basically. Mm-hmm. And all of your good guys are always these impoverished, you know, people just trying to scrape a living, right? Trying to make it by underneath, like, the jackboot of uh, this very well-resourced, technologically driven, you know, kind of empire. And ideologically um, driven, right? I mean, that's also one of the big things to emphasize um, just in the language of the characters of the empire. And it's always hard for me to differentiate between am I talking original trilogy or am I talking because you don't really hear about the Empire obviously in episodes one, two, and three, but uh, in seven, eight, nine, well, two, I think you get a lot of that. And for whatever complaints people have, like maybe the ideological language is is a little bit too heavy-handed, and that's maybe why I'm thinking of those ones. But well, not necessarily. What I, what I will say though is like specifically the ideology that's on display is a kind of secular ideology. Yeah. Well, definitely, um, you in episode know four. the the force using, well, all the, yeah, all throughout it, you know, back way the back to uh, episode four, like you said, when you know your lack of faith is most disturbing or whatever. Um, but the the idea, like even going up to like episode seven or something like that. Um, oh wait, no, it would be yeah, episode seven. Um, when you're seeing the new order come together and things like that. That's an interesting phrase, the new order. Um, it, in, it invokes this idea of like a new world order type thing, which in and of itself is this kind of progressive, we're going to manufacture peace on earth. We're going to bring heaven to earth through our will, through our technology, through our uh, science, yeah. you know, kind of concept. Well, it's the whole like and the, 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 the empire sort of thing. And yeah. Right. Instead of uh, just grinding out your day in peaceful subsistence, you know, at the local level kind of thing. Well, and um, you even get the... Where all the good people seem to live. And, and you even get the... I mean, they're, in different ways, it's sort of emphasized more or less, but the whole, like, um, you know, in harmony, which I know that can sometimes cause, like, an eye roll or whatever, but, like, it is, there's very much an emphasis on harmony. Even when it comes to Absolutely. the use of these spiritual powers, you kind of talked about how um, there was this desire to... Um, you know, mechanize or whatever, uh, mm-hmm. or co-op. Well, that's the, what we're going to get back force. to when it comes to. Well, to bring it back to season two, we'll get well, there. But go and on, actually, sorry. no. Um, so if you think of like you know even the lightsaber, in one sense, it's kind of this balance between the two because it's very much an artificial, right? In terms of it's a handmade sort of thing, but it's wielding mm-hmm. this spiritual power. But it's done in a way that's that harmonizes it, right? I mean, obviously, if it's the Jedi who are the main ones that carry it even though it can be used by the bad guys too, right? Well, and if you know your Star Wars nerdery, there's kyber crystals inside those things. So that's, again... And so even the the weapon itself is not like a circuit board. Yeah. The weapon itself is a uh, basically a holder for something that's sacred. It's the mechanical and, and sacred, the magic together. You know? Yeah, it, it's, yeah, absolutely. It's the balance of the two, and it's what technology should be for Christians, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's nothing wrong with the internet and there's nothing wrong with cell phones, but they are magical devices and it's a magical system. It's literally a spiritual world. You know, right? It reminds me uh, of the internet. There's is. like a, there's kind of like a funny meme that kind of speaks to that idea where people always, we always talk about if we could speculate going back, you know, 500 or a thousand years and how we'd amaze people uh, with our technology. And then they would ask us about that technology and we'd be just as clueless. We'd be like, so we'd go oh, and yeah, show them a cell phone and they'd be like, oh, how does this work? And be like, um, electricity. Well, I've even heard, I've even heard said that like no one person actually knows. I, this, this sounds made up maybe. So it's probably made up. I'm sure it's possible to know, but uh, I'm going to roll with it anyway. Uh, no one person <laughs> knows that how I an get iPhone the works. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, and so even if, whether this he, is true or yeah, not, I'll tell you, yeah, okay. <laughs> he's an idiot. Um, but, uh, because it's basically what Apple's done has taken people's, um, you know, different component elements that they've developed or whatever and organized them in a way that creates an iPhone. 
but you need you need the all these different people and no one person. You know what can this reminds me of, actually. So uh-huh. you're saying how like no one person knows and how it took this huge like everybody working on these separate these things separately and they were all brought together. And I was like, that's just like the translation of the Septuagint. Right where it was the seventy <laughs> Jewish, where the seventy Jewish yeah, scholars came go. together in Alexandria, nice. like what was it two hundred years before Jesus or so, and uh-huh, they right. all had to make a separate translation. And the fact that they all were able to bring it together as one—that was the miracle, according mm-hmm. to the Jewish people. And that's why that became the version of the Old Testament that was primarily used by Jesus, or used, you know, during the time of Jesus and the apostles. Uh, and it's also why, you know, it's the it's the, the version with the seven deuterocanonical books that you'll see in, in quote unquote mm-hmm. Catholic Bibles or Catholic old Testaments. Uh, oh, you're, you're preaching to the Orthodox. Choir well, I didn't want to here, make it exclusive Mike. by saying that. I yeah, just didn't want to yeah. speak beyond my, oh, speak very, beyond my depth. That's basically our Latin Vulgate. Yeah. Um, you know, it's our primary. So I just, I just love that you, as you were describing, I was like, Oh my gosh, people could use that same parallel to the Septuagint. And that's be like, quite funny. Hey, it's just like when we made the iPhone. Like, uh-huh. um, um, no, but actually, well, but anyway, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that the, uh, what the heck was I going to say? Well, we were originally talking about, I guess you about, go ahead because I lost. <laughs> well, we were originally, cause, um, just kind of keep it on brand, right? Keep it on theme. The, uh, this episode was about the unexpected spiritual power. And we were talking about how there's this harmony between the artificial or the, the mechanized oh, yeah, and yeah, the and magical the crystals and the when it came saber, to the lightsaber right. itself. Right. And, you know, it's talking mm. about how it's a handmade thing in terms of the handle, but it's using the the kyber crystals that creates it that that's what actually what makes it what it is right and mm-hmm. what's funny is well and it says it's it's not they they have they're not uh, replacing nature they're just they're harnessing nature kind of like you know even going back to the Garden of Eden story where my favorite it's it's one of my favorite analogies to keep going back to or spiritual realities to keep going back to is that we're fundamentally cultivators. Mm. That we're not here to steamroll the environment. We're here to live within the environment, but also to cultivate it well, into a habitable So home. you become a steward. And that includes the stuff we the, use. You're a steward right. of the kyber crystals to, to keep the analogy. That's what's exactly that? it. Look, That's exactly um, it. So, but what's funny is, and, and I, I realize, you know, you haven't seen the Book of Boba Fett episodes, but if you remember at the end of Mandalorian season two, he gets the dark saber, right? And mm-hmm. and they do a stinger where he goes and uh, sits in Jabba's throne. So he um they do have that. But in the but in post credit sequence. But the Mandalorian, you actually see him use it in combat in episode five of Book of Boba Fett. And what's interesting hmm. is that um it's said to him afterwards because in his in his uh, combat he actually injures himself with it, and it's said hmm. to him later on, you cannot control it with your strength. In, in wielding the dark Interesting. Saber. And so you get this sense of like, almost like an Aikido sort of thing where it's like, you have to control it, but you can't try to overpower it. You can't try to like impose yourself upon it, which as you were saying- mm, You have to participate with it. You have to have- That's a, what this, you know, whether we're talking about why the dark side wanted Grogu's blood or what the dark side has always been about, which has been an overpowering or um, imposing its will upon the galaxy, imposing mm-hmm. its will upon the force. As opposed to, yep. it's all just it's all just matter to be wielded, and none of it is a living reality that you participate. And so, with. Uh, the Mandalorian, even though he doesn't necessarily, that's not necessarily his, his mo, he still has to learn this with this device, with this with the dark saber, that he can't mm-hmm. just overpower this thing. He can't just treat it like you know the quote unquote bad guys treat the. They just see everything sure. as either a weapon or something to be controlled. And, yeah, something to be used. Yeah, something to be consumed. And, yeah. it, the, so the empire is just modernity, folks. It's just modernity, and um, it's uh, it's not that like technology is bad. Obviously, everyone in Star Wars uses technology, spaceships, you yeah. know, communicators, all that stuff. It's not like the technology is bad, but how people utilize. Some people are living with technology, and some people are wielding technology across the galaxy against you know for the act of coercion and things like that. To make to make peace through the galaxy, quote unquote. I, but it's under the jackboot. I was gonna. Well, now that you so you use the phrase jackboot, which of course r- should remind you or remind us of um, when we were talking about the uh, long, long time episode that we recorded, because that's what the Bill mm. character says at the beginning. And you were mm-hmm. talking earlier. It reminded me of. Um, I was like, oh, it's like a it's a redemption story told through a you know blah 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 story because that was kind of our our kind of 
back and forth earlier. And yeah. what's funny yeah, yeah. is there's actually some sincerity to this because, uh, you know, you've been talking about how he removed his helmet and how, oh, that's going to be, that's going to cause problems later on or what are the consequences going to be? So it actually, I think his conversation when he's confronted with this, with the consequences of him removing his helmet sets us up for what I'm guessing will be the main storyline or one of the main storylines in Mandalorian season three, because mm. he says that the only way to basically be forgiven or redeemed from this um, discretion is he um, has to go to the living waters under the mines of Mandalore. And it's like, Oh my what? gosh, living waters. Like, I wonder if there's what? any sort of, yeah. And I, I had to write it down. Cause I was like, that's the language they're going to use. Um, Wow. So, like I said, I, who is on the writing team? I just John Favreau. Like I, half the episodes seem to be or, written yeah, by that or guy. Directed, or I mean, the whole se- like the direction of the series as a whole. No, but specifically written, yeah. like too, like specifically written by John Favreau. I noticed frequently. Um, Which again, wow. it'll okay. it'll be it'll be good. Um, it'll set us up well for a season. You know, obviously, we won't be able to record the episode until the whole season comes out, which is at, as of this recording yeah, is at least six weeks away. But. uh you know, however many episodes the season's going to have. But I just, I, that's interesting because it, like, it'll be after, it'll basically be after Lent too. Oh. Which we'll have both gone through, well, me more so than Mike, frankly. Oh boy. We'll have gone through <laughs> some penance, some, yeah. I, I don't know. Some I'm, actual sure, times I'm sure Mike's going to do a lot. Yeah. I think Mike's going to do something. I don't know what it is, but he'll do something, I'm sure. Um, but like, that's going to be a, um, a pilgrimage, right? Um, and, uh, it'll be interesting to watch the Mandalorian um, in that context. I, I didn't I tell you that you know our our church is just taking Lent off this year. We're just going to be like, eh, it's oh. more of a <laughs> oh boy. Now I'm going to get the you're, you're with a. I don't need the helmet. Yeah, Who needs yeah. the helmet? You know, I'm going to worship God in my own yeah, way. Out in nature, um, right? Just like the Mandalorian would have wanted. Right. Absolutely. That's exactly it. No, I'm I'm glad you guys are figuring that out over there. Um, but, uh, you know, before, because I know we're getting long in this episode, I got to vents about uh, how amazing Luke Skywalker's reappearance was. Yeah. So I am one of those people who um, was turned off by The Last Jedi. And people can sit there and accuse me uh, of being hobbled by my, you know, slavish dedication to the character arc of the original trilogy and how characters evolve and it makes an interesting narrative story. You know, people change and that's interesting. You know, Luke Skywalker was always supposed to be, you know, conversations about him turning the dark side. Yeah, yeah, I've heard it all. I've heard it all, people. I don't buy any of it. Luke Skywalker is a jerk in The Last Jedi. He betrays everything he stands for in the original trilogy. And you can say that's interesting narrative development, but that is, that's lazy storytelling when you don't earn any of that. And you can say, oh, well, you know, bad things happened and he lost all of his pupils and he, you know, he went crazy. Not good enough. Not good enough to get us from Luke Skywalker at the end of Return of Jedi to Luke Skywalker at the beginning of uh, The Last Jedi. I do not buy that arc. And it was extremely frustrating. Silver lining, though, it made for some really funny memes uh, about the whole, like, characters. <laughs> <laughs> That's, sure. that's the force um, working in mysterious you know, there's always ways that. there's always yeah that's that's what that is that's oh my right God, honestly um, i'm actually surprised somebody hasn't has somebody said the force works in mysterious ways that that feels like such a like like somebody in the know. somebody in the star wars stories is gonna say that Someone hopefully ahsoka to. says it then everybody can like roll their eyes and yeah right oh we never even we never even got to well, her appearance well, but anyway yeah. let me keep waxing on about uh luke um so that was so cathartic for me to see Luke Skywalker. Yeah, I mean, the digital de-aging it was a little uncanny valley creepy, oh, yeah. I admit. But I was so invested in the story at that point, it didn't matter. It was easy for me to ignore it. Um, and so putting that little canard aside, that was such a cathartic way to redeem Luke. Even though in the larger context, it's done nothing. The Last Jedi is still canon. It's still where he goes. Um, but that's what Luke should be. And that's the Luke that, frankly, we never really got a chance to see post-Return of the Jedi. Because Return of the Jedi, he's still ultimately... There's very little of him being super Jedi, except for at the very end when he's it's fighting like his father. It's like one extended and it's, conversation. 
in yeah yeah it, it's it's there's not you don't see you just don't get the joy of watching Luke Skywalker at his height the height of his powers is just being awesome and so for someone John Favreau to finally give us that to finally give us that was amazing and it was awesome and they had set up you know we were talking about technology and the empire's dedication to technology the reason why that was even brought up initially is because uh the the ultimate baddies in the season are those terminator style yeah, the, the robot stormtrooper droids yeah. right yeah and you know to my mind it was just like a platoon of terminators right which i think is a super neat idea <laughs> what happens if uh, the empire just institutes a bunch of terminator type things and and that's how the Mandalorian kind of engages with him. I, I was getting flashbacks to Sarah Connor trying to like fight the Terminator. The, the you know? foot stepping on the skull but, and breaking it, right? The, yeah, yeah, there's all kinds of, it's very Terminator-y, um, which is cool. I like it. And for Luke Skywalker to show up and just take out an entire ship full of Terminators uh, well, nonchalantly and that's the other thing was just that, so awesome. Yeah, like, <laughs> so cool. Well, yeah, it's like ever since probably episode one, we're we're craving that, you know, you kind of mentioned Last Samurai or Samurai. We talked about that in, in our first part of The Mandalorian. And so mm -hmm. we're always looking for that like samurai scene where it's one on 50 and all I have is a sword or a lightsaber. And mm -hmm. you get exactly. to just, you know, or or even um, actually it kind of makes me think of, did you ever watch the Kill Bill movies? Uh, yeah. Do yeah, you remember the, sure. yeah. So there's the Kill Bill, like the restaurant. The house of... Yeah. Yeah, the yeah, in the first movie, the house Which, of what do they call well, that? I and I realize that though. that movie or those the Kill Bill story is like an homage. So I know that's not the first example, but in my life, that was the like you know you think of the um the the one against Iconic everybody, yeah, the, one against everybody so, thing. Mm -hmm. So we're always oh yeah, you know, they did a good and we job never got movie. to do that. We never got to see that obviously with Luke because his main you know once he becomes a a, a Jedi Master or whatever. Because he doesn't really do it in the um, Job of the Hut scene, no, it, he, and he doesn't it, do it, it with Darth all, Vader. Yeah. So we got to see him do it, and it we we don't have to have any like moral qualms about it because it's a bunch of robots, fortunately. But we yeah, got to see no, him. Awesome. You know, he doesn't. We don't have to call Luke a, a murderer or a mass murderer because uh -huh. uh, it was. Just I would robots. have never done that anyway. Yeah. But you know, come we on, just write it. Yeah, I was actually just listening. There was no. It's uh. This is. I've been going, I just finished actually that Planet Narnia book a while oh, back, yeah. um, which was a fantastic read, but he quotes C.S. Lewis regarding something else. It's like, fairy tales are when the insides of a person are on, the, on their outside. Mm -hmm. In other words, you don't have to treat bad guys with nuance. You can. Uh, lots of stories do. Obviously, we're really fascinated with, well, with anti And we're going to have an episode devoted to like, the villains, like the motivations and the background you saw yeah, that text I sent we you. We can right? do yeah. that. There's, there's, yeah, probably. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I did. Um, but uh, no, but Star Wars is a fairy tale. Star Wars is a space opera. Stormtroopers are like orcs. Oh, boy. Um, oh, you know what? It was actually, yeah, they there's my the, token I was reference. Say, check no, the box. Yeah, that was, that was, Anybody no, that was bingo, actually where it was. It was the, in uh, a, <laughs> that's right. It was an Ammon Sewell. That's a great podcast. Go check it out. An Ammon Sewell episode After that was talking ours. about. The orcs, yeah, after listening to us, of course. Um, and they're asking, is it, you know, how do we engage with how much orcs are just like bad guys? Are mm -hmm. they redeemable? Blah, blah, blah. It was a very interesting conversation yeah. they had. But you'll um, see a lot of essays anyway, and so, Tolkien studies stuff about it for sure. Yeah. And the idea is, is that like, no, they're not redeemable. They're basically demons. They're basically incarnate demons. And uh, Christians should not be worried about uh, the salvation of demons. Uh, Indiana Jones should not be worried about the humanity of Nazis and Luke Skywalker should not be worried about um, the humanity of stormtroopers. <laughs> you know, if you want to tell a story like that, go tell something that's not Star Wars because Star Wars is fantasy and fantasy, the joy of fantasy. This is why I, Game of Thrones is okay. It's okay, but it's the absolute opposite of this, right? Game of Thrones is taking a fantasy world and dragging it into the mud of our reality, mm -hmm. and 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 just griming it's, it up. And, it's and telling a modern story like. with and, fantasy characters as opposed to telling a fantasy story. Is that you yeah. know? I mean, maybe that's it yeah. is absolutely. It's different. It's just it's not the same thing. Um, and so fantasies, you know, our most beloved fantasies are uh, they're morality tales. Um, and there's good and there's evil. There's black hats and white hats, and it's un unrepentantly so 
you know, you don't have to worry about the bad guys. You know, they're just there to pillage and murder and rape and, and just leave it at or that. Or to be cut in half um, by a lightsaber. Or to be cut in half by a lightsaber. They're all a bunch of red shirts to get my uh, peanut butter and my chocolate. Um, but, uh, yeah, so anyway, who cares? But they weren't humans. They were robots. So we That's, really It takes away the ambiguity. It. That's what's so great about it. Because like you said, it's make, it sure. kind of feeds into the whole fantasy thing where it's like, hey, we're not even going to have, we're not even going to give you the viewer any sort of qualms about this, right? You know, do you think that George Lucas was trying to achieve that level of, uh, that lack of ambiguity by suggesting that the stormtroopers are all just clones I, anyway? I, I was almost going to say that as you were describing, I was like. It, do you think, do you think that's what he was trying to do? They failed miserably because that just made it way more morally complicated. Well than it ever was before. No, I, yeah. When stormtroopers were just like, were just people who signed up to be Nazis, you know, then it felt okay. Then you're like, oh, well, them. they knew what they were getting into. Yeah, they, they knew what Whereas they were now, doing. They knew what they were getting programmed, into. Now which, they're, they're like the product of like scientific, But if you they've know, been programmed like, and brainwashed, then you could say they're just as morally not culpable. Oh, I got you. Right? I, I think, I think that's, well, yeah, no, it's, it's, it, it raises way more ethical questions if they're a bunch of clones than it did for me when they were just space Nazis. Uh, just full stop. <laughs> and so maybe, maybe he was trying to make them uh, morally, you know, extinguishable. Yeah, without, they're just robots. Because <laughs> right? you, know, you just think they're of They're like, just robots when, or whatever. When they get the well, Order because 66. in the prequels, they are just yeah, robots, in Order 66, right? 66, you know? they just are programmed to, you know. Now, the mm. fact that they can, like, fight their programming or resist it, which we sometimes see in, I think, was that, um, well, in... Uh, What's the, what was the show? The, was it Rebels or, or Bad Batch or something like where you kind of, there's people who are like fighting that program oh, yeah, or something. I haven't seen all of those. I've yeah. seen some of Rebels. I've seen some of, uh, I've seen, I haven't seen no, the no, entire I, series I haven't of seen Clone all the Wars actually. Stuff either. I've been trying to get my kids into those too, because then I won't feel as weird watching them together. But uh, yeah. Well, I've watched, I think like the first season of Clone Wars. I think that it gets much better from what I hear. No. I'm not saying that season all one was my, bad. It's just that it, it evidently it's amazing. Basically, evidently by the time you get to the end of that of my season, students it, were like that series. Raised, all my students who are into Star Wars will swear by Clone Wars, and they all want me to watch it or have my kids watch it because they talk about how good it is. And so that's oh, why yeah, I keep trying talk about to it. get my kids to watch it, you know, so we can watch it together. Mm -hmm. But they've watched the they've watched yeah, the nine maybe episodes. I'll give college try again. I they've been asking about watching Mandalorian, and I said, oh, I don't. It's not that it's so like violent or so bad that you won't like. It's I don't think you'd enjoy it as much, but maybe. You know, I've I've almost thought after I rewatched season one to get ready for this, I was like, oh, my oldest could probably like it. They'd probably appreciate it. Oh, I think they would. I mean, I I, I think they would. I don't it know. Actually, you should give them a go. It actually man. had more. I think it's the best Star Wars product. It's the best Star Wars product since the original trilogy, hands down. Oh yeah. I mean, now it. I guess I haven't seen Clone Wars, but I tell you what, I bet you it's a different vibe. I, even from what I've seen of season one. I mean, maybe this is an unfair statement for me to make. This um, is like, but we're just veering out the just edge different. right now. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, whatever. You know what? Back, I want to, you know what, Jacob? I want to sincerely thank you for uh, for doing your homework, but I especially want to thank all of you guys for, <laughs> for coming to to listen and, and share in this conversation. Originally, I was thinking we were going to do three Mandalorian episodes, and we do actually still have enough stuff to do a third one. But I think, Jacob, would you agree? Maybe we should wait until season three totally comes yeah, let's out. let's just do after And then we can do three. our season three Mandalorian episode. Um, we'll revisit this after having watched season three. Uh, there's definitely a lot more spiritual content that you and I can cover. We didn't even get into yep. the whole father-son thing. We didn't even get into the whole- No, um, we keep, we my, keep just, yeah, there's so much to do Well, here. and actually, because, I mean, Voyage has, you know, a collection of essays that go into the father-son thing especially. So I thought that could be its own thing. But even there's even more from Therese of Lisieux. I mean, her big thing was my vocation is love. And think of how much like the love is the main theme throughout all the Mandalorian, of course. So yeah, anyway, um, we'll we'll definitely you revisit know how much, this. Hey Mike, Mike, how much you wanna bet Voyage Comics would love for us to mention their new book <laughs> that is all about <laughs> what we're talking about. <laughs> And now we somehow have gone through two podcast episodes and have not. Oh, you know what? I tell them my artistic this, integrity. This, this is not a commercial. This is not propaganda. Uh, <laughs> so, but if you guys have hey, enjoyed I'm a suck up. this, go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you guys have enjoyed go this podcast it. and other conversations about the Mandalorian, about comics, uh, theology, philosophy, of course, um, 
go to voyagecomics.com and you can hear new episodes from us. You can see other, you know, products that Voyage releases. You can go to the Voyage blog. Um, if you want to, you know, send Jacob and I a message, complain about Jacob, whatever you want to complain about Jacob, uh, email podcast at voyagecomics.com. I mean, what's there? I don't know <laughs> what there would ever be to complain about, but yeah. uh, you really, no, the, the, <laughs> I'm, I will say this. Go buy their new book, The Christ Bearer. It's uh, about uh, the uh, Mandalorian. If you want to complain about how they, Jacob they, is they... just a shill for Voyage Comics <laughs> <laughs> and doesn't actually have any I, thoughts I, of his own, but is just one walking commercial, then uh, you can I certainly payroll, email man. podcast at voyagecomics.com. Like, subscribe, uh, rate, review the podcast. Because again, Jacob is very sensitive. And so he wants to hear all the good things <laughs> that you're saying about, you know, even if you're going to throw in some good things about, about me or the podcast in general. Uh, but it, yeah. Yeah, you wish yeah. but anyway uh, we enjoyed this um, we look forward to having another conversation about this about any all the other stuff we have on the horizon but anyway we will um, talk with you guys or see you guys later thanks my corporate overlords thank you thanks for listening to Voyage Podcast the Voyage Podcast is a production of Voyage Comics and Publishing which seeks to create exceptional entertainment informed by Catholic values that inspire people to live a heroic life Voyage Comics seeks to advance truth and beauty found in powerful stories. To learn more, visit voyagecomics.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram 